You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. Jason tells you all the time to come up to the front. And trust me, if you haven't, do it. Because you get to sit up here and you get to hear everyone in the room singing and, and, and declaring that Jesus can save us and that he wants to save us. So next week, like, for nothing else, at least get to come and listen to people who have been saved by Jesus declare that he can and he wants to save you, which is, which is exactly what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 48. Um, last week, we got to celebrate the work that God is doing um, in our church and in our kids' ministry, um, in the new building that he is providing for us. And this week, we're back in our series in Luke, and it's titled Face to Face, because what we're focusing on is encounters with Jesus that different people had in the book of Luke. And last, or two weeks ago, we, we saw uh, how Jesus encountered a man with many demons, and what we saw was the power of Jesus over every spiritual force that has infected our world. And we, we came face to face with the undeniable power of Jesus to save those who are suffering and those who are being dragged towards death by sin and evil. We saw Jesus's power over things that terrify us, over things that make us tremble with fear. We saw that Jesus has authority over all of those things. And so we're gonna see something pretty similar in our text today because we're, we're still in the portion of Luke where Luke is just constantly highlighting the power of Jesus. And so whereas last week we came face to face with Jesus's power over all spiritual evil, this morning, we are going to come face to face with Jesus's power to free us from every form of suffering and his power to cleanse us of every impurity that we could ever experience. Today, as we encounter a woman who is healed from impurity and from suffering, we are going to come face to face with the immeasurable power of Jesus and the surprising compassion of Jesus. So let's go to the text. Uh, Luke 8, beginning in verse 40. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Just then a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house, because he had an only daughter about 12 years old, and she was dying. While he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any, she approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus, we ask you to show us your glory. Show us your power. 
Help us to not be in awe of our suffering or our sin or our impurity, but help us to be in awe of you, Jesus, in awe of your power and your compassion. So uh, Jesus, uh, what we see here, uh, like I said a couple weeks ago, we saw him in um, Genesarot um, where he was healing the man with the demons. And as he's coming back, that's where we find him in verse 40. And so Jesus is returning to Galilee after being in the country of the Gerasenes. And we, we don't know how long it's been um, since Jesus drove the demons out of the man. Luke doesn't give us a strict timeline. But I assume it was pretty quick. Because if you remember from that story, the, the people, uh, the Gerasenes, they are like trying to push Jesus out the door. They are begging him to leave. And so it's probably pretty soon after that. But no matter how long it was, Luke, tells, or Luke kind of gives us a clue that it was enough time for word to travel about what Jesus had done for that man and how he had healed them. And we know that because it says in verse 40, when he returned, the crowd welcomed him for they were all expecting him. And so word had traveled um, about what Jesus was doing, and so this crowd was expecting him. In contrast to the garrisons that rejected Jesus and wanted him out of their city, this crowd has heard about his power, and they're excited for him to come. And I wish I could talk more about that, but Jason is going to cover this portion of the story next week as he talks more about Jairus and his daughter And so what's important for our consideration this morning, though, is to remember that there is a large crowd, and that will come into play later. And so our focus for this morning begins in verse 42, the second half of that. And uh, verse 42 and 43 says, while he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any. And so Jesus is on his way to go and heal Jairus' daughter, and the crowd is going with him. And and Luke is careful to tell us that the crowd is crushing him as he's moving through the city. It is a huge, large crowd that is pressing in on Jesus. They've all heard about what he's done, and they're all trying to get close to him, and they're all trying to be near him to the point that they're crushing him. And in the midst of this large crowd, there's a woman. And this particular woman, Luke tells us that she has been suffering from bleeding for 12 years. And the type of bleeding that she was suffering from is specifically a menstrual bleeding. And that's an important detail. It may seem not very important to us, like no matter how you're bleeding for 12 years, you're going to have a lot of suffering from that. But the particular type of bleeding that she was suffering is really important. Because not only was she clearly suffering physically, she was bleeding for longer than some of you guys in here have been alive, right? Like she was suffering for a really, really long time. And as we'll see later, she couldn't find any physical healing anywhere. But because of the particular kind of bleeding that she was suffering from, she was also suffering from social and even spiritual impurity, And so to fully understand this, uh, we need to take a look back at everybody's favorite book, Leviticus. Um, So if, uh, I think we should all turn there. It's a good passage. Let's all all turn to Leviticus, uh, go there together. Uh, I would recommend keeping your finger or thumb in Luke. Sorry if you already took it out. Uh, We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 15, looking at verses 25 through 33. 
So that says is that in verse 25, when a woman has a discharge of her blood for many days, though it is not the time of her menstruation, where if she has a discharge beyond her period, she will be unclean all the days of her unclean discharge, as she is during the days of her menstruation. Any bed she lies on during the days of her discharge will be like her bed during menstrual impurity. Any furniture she sits on will be unclean as in her menstrual period. Everyone who touches them will be unclean. He must wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will remain unclean until evening. When she is cured of her discharge, she is to count seven days, and after that she will be clean. On the eighth day, she must take two turtle doves or two young pigeons and bring them to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The priest is to sacrifice one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her before the Lord because of her unclean discharge. You must keep the Israelites from their uncleanliness so that they do not die by defiling my tabernacle that is among them. And so uh, I think it's good to unpack this so we understand exactly what it means that she was unclean. It's clear that she was, but we need to understand the implications of her uncleanness. And so, so the reason that laws like this exist in the Bible is because God is completely holy. God is goodness. God is rightness. God is purity. And they, these aren't just characteristics that he possesses, but they are essential to his being. They are an essential part of his essence. And so because God is, is this holy, he is the standard for what is holy, that means that what is not holy cannot come into his presence. And that's why God and humans are separated, because when Adam and Eve disobeyed God's law, they made all humans profane. And what profane means is just it's the opposite of holy. And so um, because we are profane, we are the opposite of holy, we've been infected by sin and death, we cannot be in God's presence. We are cut off from the author of life and the giver of all blessings. But God in his kindness, I know it may not seem like it, but what's in Leviticus here, that's a kindness. God in his kindness has given us a way to come to him if we're made clean. And so that's what certain sacrifices in the Old Testament were for. They, they cleansed a person from the dirtiness of sin and death so that they could dwell in God's presence. And there, there were certain things besides just, I, I think we would, uh, most of us who have grown up in church, we would all be like, yeah, sin makes you unclean. But there were other things as well that would make you unclean. Uh, one of those examples is obviously what we see here with the, with the bleeding that this woman is experiencing. But also, for example, if a person touched a dead body, they would be considered unclean. And this wasn't just arbitrary. God just wasn't, hey, this is clean, this is not, whatever. It wasn't that, and it wasn't, it's not just about hygiene or anything like that either. This, these things made someone unclean or impure because it is, it's wrong, and it is wicked to bring the dirtiness of death into the presence of the giver of life. That is why we see all these things, because God is the giver of everything good. He is life itself. And so it's wrong to bring the dirtiness of death into his presence. 
And so God gave the Israelites certain instructions on how to respect his holiness and his purity and ensure that they could enjoy communion with the holy and pure God in a way that is good and right and in a way that brings them life and blessing. And so that's the purpose of these instructions that we just read in Leviticus. And so this woman who has been suffering for bleeding from 12 years, she has also been impure and unclean for 12 years. And if you look back at what's in Leviticus, you'll see that everything this woman touches also became unclean. Even other people she came into contact with would have been unclean. And in Leviticus 15, 31, it says, again, you must keep the Israelites from their uncleanness so they do not die by defiling my tabernacle that is among them. So it says that everybody's got to be kept from uncleanliness. And so everyone that this woman knew her entire life up until the point when she started bleeding, they would have rejected her. They would have been staying away from her not to catch her uncleanliness. She would have spread it to them if they touched each other. And so everyone she knows is just staying away from her so as to not become unclean themselves. And so for 12 years, she's been suffering physically, but she's also been ostracized. She's been cast out by her community. All her friends, all her family, they were staying away from her because of her impurity. And so she had the physical pain, and she was also a complete social outcast. But if we look back at our text in Luke chapter 8, verse 43, Luke tells us that she had spent all she had on doctors. She was going from doctor to doctor to doctor, spending all of her money, and none of them had been able to heal them. And so this woman, she's suffering physically. She's lost all her money. She's destitute. She's a social outcast because of her impurity. And she, she, can't, she has comfort in nothing. She's got nothing. And she can't even go into the temple to find comfort in God and to cry out to him because of her uncleanliness. She has nothing. One thing she does have, though, is that she has heard about Jesus. She has heard what he did in Genesaret. She has heard about the other healings that he's done. She has heard about his power and how he has healed so many others. And so she comes to him in faith that he can heal her as well. And so it's important, though, to think about the kind of faith that the woman has. We've already seen when we read through the text that the faith of the woman is saving faith. Jesus says that at the end, that her faith has saved her. But... The faith that she has isn't what some of us usually think of like a strong, saving faith. Usually we think of kind of a a quiet, calm, content trust in the Lord as like that's the faith to have. And that is admirable. Uh, Nobody's going to deny that. But the kind of faith that this woman has, while it is genuine and true and saving, the kind of faith that she had, it's complicated, right? She's bold but she's also anxious and maybe a little misguided in her thinking in some ways. And we see that in verse 42 through 44. So it says, again, a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any, approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. 
And so this woman, she, she is bold enough to be in the crowd in the first place. Remember her impurity, what we read in Leviticus. By being in the crowd, she was breaking strict religious and social codes. Because of her impurity, she should not have been in that crowd. And if somebody in the crowd were to know about her impurity and that she was there, like, like oh, what I was thinking, this would be like, luckily we can kind of have an idea now as the, of, of what this was like. Um, if you think back to like COVID, like this would be like if you're at a restaurant um, during the midst of COVID and you find out that your waiter had tested positive, but decided to come into work anyway and give you food and give you drink. Like you'd be pretty upset right? Because this guy was giving you this infectious disease uh, that has killed a lot of people and could kill you. And that's the idea here. If anyone had found out that she had brought her impurity into the crowd, she would have been even more socially outcast than she already was. And so she is already being bold by coming in the midst of the crowd. And remember, Luke says the crowd is crushing her. And so she has to fight through the crowd. She's got to push her way through. And so we see in her a boldness. We see in her a boldness to fight through the crowd because she has faith that Jesus can heal her enough that she is breaking through the norms of her impurity and she is pushing her way through the crowd. But also notice in verse 44 that she approaches from behind. And so even though she's bold enough to be in the crowd and fight through the crowd, she's still a little anxious. She's still a little ashamed because she won't come face to face with Jesus. She has boldness to come to Jesus, but not enough boldness to see him face to face. And so her faith is complicated. She's, she's really bold in some ways, but she's still anxious and afraid in other ways. And her, she also probably has some misguided ideas about how she can be healed. She's, she's likely fueled by some superstitious notion that if, if she can just touch the end of his robe, then like magical power will flow out through him. And so, so yeah, it, it, it's complicated. She, she's, she's bold, she's incredibly bold, but she's also anxious and afraid. Maybe doesn't even have all the particulars in her head, right? of how she can be saved, but she knows and she trusts one thing. Jesus has healed others and he can heal her. And that's what we see in verse 44. We read this. She approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. And so what we see here is that she is motivated by her faith, and she approached and she was healed. And what we see here are two important things about the power of Jesus. The first is that Jesus's power just simply radiates out from his being. All this woman had to do to experience the power of Jesus was barely touch the end of his robe. That's all she had to do to instantly be healed of this thing that she had been suffering from for 12 years. There was no specific prayer that she needed to pray. There was no deed that needed to be done or any penance that needed to be paid. All that this woman needed to be healed of her infirmity 
was just to be in the presence of Jesus. And that's because his power is just flowing out from him. And we've actually already seen this exact same truth earlier in the book of Luke. In Luke 6, 19, it says this, the whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. And so power just comes out from Jesus. He doesn't have to conjure it. Jesus doesn't have to go and recharge his power. It just flows from his being. Power just flows from who he is. And so that begs the question, who is this? The power just flows from his being. What the disciples asked earlier, who is this that the wind and the waves listen to him? Who is this that can drive out demons? Who is this that can instantly heal what no doctor for 12 years could? Who is this that power just flows from his being? It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is Jesus and only Jesus who has the kind of power that flows out from him and which can overcome all things. What we see in this text is that no illness, no infirmity, and there's not even an impurity that Jesus, the Son of God, does not have power over. And that is our second important thing that we see here about Jesus' power, that the power of Jesus overcomes all impurity. Remember back to Leviticus 15, what happened to the clothes and even the furniture that this woman touched? They became unclean as well. And so this, this kind of adds to the drama of the scene when you understand that, because by her coming and approaching Jesus, according to what we read in Leviticus, by touching his robe, she would have made Jesus unclean as well. And so this woman who's a social outcast has no money. She has the audacity to come up and touch this prominent popular teacher by his robe, potentially making her unclean. And that's what would have happened to anyone else. Her touch would have made anyone else unclean. But the power of Jesus is such that it overcomes any impurity. It overcomes her impurity. Jesus is, is so powerful, he is, he is so pure, he is so holy that his holiness cannot be tainted by her impurity. In fact, his holiness is so powerful that it doesn't just block her impurity. It's not just like a, oh, can't get me. The, her, his, powerful, his power is so great that it actually reverses her impurity. His power is so great that it completely overcomes the suffering and impurity that she is facing. And it's not even a struggle. It instantly happens. Jesus' power isn't fighting or struggling with this woman's infirmity and impurity. Jesus' power is so great that the woman just barely touches the end of his robe, just barely comes to him. She is instantly healed. Instantly her bleeding stops. But we don't just see the beautiful power of Jesus in this text. We also see the beauty of Jesus' surprising compassion. If we continue on in the text, right after her bleeding stops in verse 45, it says, who touched me? Jesus asked. 
When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in, and they're pressing against you. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know that power has gone out from me. And so Jesus noticed that something has just happened, and he asked who touched him. But notice that Luke says that they all denied it. This means that the whole crowd denied it, including the woman. The woman was part of this all gathered. And so it seems that when she was first asked about what happened, she also denied touching Jesus. And so this this kind of adds to the complicated faith of the woman. She had enough faith to break through to Jesus and touch him. But now she's afraid to declare that it was her who touched Jesus. And, and this might seem a, a little strange to us, right? Like she's, she's been healed. Like why, why uh, wouldn't she admit what happened? Um, but if you look back at verse 44, Luke is specific to say not that she was healed, but merely that her bleeding stopped. And that, that is really amazing, and it demonstrates the power of Jesus, and we just, we just talked about that. But there is still more restoration that this woman needs. Though her bleeding has stopped, she's still considered unclean. Looking back at Leviticus 15, 28 through 30, it says, when she is cured of her discharge, she is to count seven days, and after that she will be clean. On the eighth day, she must take two turtle doves or two young pigeons and bring them to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The priest is to sacrifice one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her before the Lord because of her unclean discharge. And so even though her discharge of blood was cured, according to that, she was still unclean. She still had to wait seven days and then go present a sacrifice at the temple. And so even though it was stopped, she was still unclean. She was still considered impure, which meant that everybody else in the crowd could still be infected by her impurity. And so that's why she's afraid to make herself known. She's afraid that, that she's gonna be found out about what she did. She's gonna be found out that she risked spreading this impurity to others, and, and she's going to get that more social rejection. Because remember, this impurity affected someone's enjoyment of the blessings of God. And so, so she would have, if she had been found out, the rest of the crowd would have thought that they basically cut her off for seven days from enjoying the blessings of God. And so the crowd around her and her fear of even greater social consequences stopping her from trusting that Jesus can not only save her from physical suffering, but also from her impurity as well. This is why I mentioned earlier to keep the crowd in mind as we continue through the story. If you look back up at the second half of verse 42, it says, while he was growing, the crowds were nearly crushing him. That word crushing is significant. Um, Because the Greek word that Luke uses there is only used one other time in the Gospel of Luke. And that's in the parable of the soils. If you remember back when we did uh, multiple weeks on the parable of the soils, one of them 
was the soil that had the thorns that grow up. The cares of the world grow up like thorns and threaten to choke out faith. That word that gets translated there, choke, is the same word that Luke uses here to mean crush. And so, so the, the picture that Luke is painting for us is that though this woman had enough faith to be healed, she needs more. She needs full restoration, but the thorns of social consequences are creeping up and threatening to choke out the faith that she has. They are threatening to keep her from experiencing not just physical healing, but also restored purity at the hands of Jesus. And restored purity, full wholeness, is actually exactly what Jesus is offering to her. Think about it. This is the Son of God we're talking about. His power just flows from him. And so here, when he asked, who touched me? It's not that he doesn't know who touched him. What he's doing is he's giving this woman a chance to come forward, to come to him and receive full restoration. And this is, this is where the surprising compassion of Jesus comes in because he's offering her a chance to fight through the thorns, to cut through the thorns that are threatening to choke out her faith. And it's surprising that Jesus offers this because, because this woman, she snuck in. She snuck in behind Jesus, and in her mind, she kind of stole this healing. She didn't ask for it. She didn't come like Jairus and fall down on her knees and beg him for healing. She snuck out behind, and she took it. And she risked spreading impurity on uncleanliness. And so what this woman would have been expecting is Jesus to be mad at her, for Jesus to reprimand her. And that's why she's afraid. That's why she doesn't want to come. Those are the thorns that are threatening to creep up and keep her away from wholeness and purity and eternal life in Christ. But Jesus isn't angry with the woman. It's the exact opposite. He wants to give her more blessing. Jesus is not just content to leave her only with physical healing. Jesus wants to give her full and complete restoration. And that is because Jesus, by his own admission in John 10.10, he says that he came to give life and give life abundantly. And so his compassion is such that he doesn't want to just give her physical healing. He wants to give her full restoration. Jesus knows her. He, Jesus is God, and God knew this woman before the foundation of the world. He knows that it is not just physical healing that this woman needs, but full restoration back to purity. And in Jesus' compassion, that's exactly what he's offering. He's already giving her freedom from physical suffering. Now he's offering freedom from social and spiritual suffering as well. In verse 47 and 48, we read this. When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so this woman realizes that she can't hide anymore. Notice it says when she was discovered, when she realized she was discovered. So she was trying to hide. 
But when she realizes that she can't hide anymore, there is no use in hiding her impurity from Jesus or trying to keep it from him. And in this moment, she has enough faith to cut through the thorns, but she's still afraid. And so she comes up and she falls down before Jesus and she comes to his presence humbly because she knows her impurity makes her unworthy of him. But she's trusting that he can deliver her from the wrath of the crowd as well. We know that she, that she is coming humbly because of verse 47. It says that uh, she fell down and also she declared in front of the whole crowd what had happened. And so in that moment, she's declaring what she once tried to hide. Now she is declaring because she trusts that Jesus can not just give her the physical healing she has, but he can give her social and spiritual healing and purity and cleanliness as well. She is trusting that Jesus can deliver her from that as well. And so she breaks through the thorns that threaten to crush her faith, and she lays herself bare before Jesus. She's got nothing else to do. She knows that she can't hide it anymore. And so she confesses her impurity. She confesses how Jesus' power has freed her from physical suffering, hoping and trusting that he can deliver her from the social and spiritual suffering as well. And that's exactly what Jesus does. In verse 48, Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so again, we see Jesus's compassion by calling her daughter in front of all the people. He doesn't, he doesn't call her unclean. He doesn't call her impure. He doesn't, he doesn't lay on insults or aggression, but he calls her daughter and now says in front of everyone, hey, she's a part of my family now. And he declares that her faith has saved her. And we, we see Jesus' surprising compassion in this declaration. Because what we see is that it doesn't take a perfect faith for her to be saved. Her faith wasn't a quiet, content trust. Her faith was an anxious and a desperate grasp for hope. But that's exactly the kind of faith that Jesus said has saved her. He does not require a perfect faith. All that Jesus requires is that you trust that he can do what no one else can. And she did. We also see once again the power of Jesus. Because remember back to Leviticus that there were, there were certain things that this woman needed to do in order to actually be impure. She needed to wash herself. She needed to offer a sacrifice. But none of those things happen here. Jesus simply declares her clean. He simply declares her saved. She doesn't need a sacrifice. But why? That's because when Jesus declares something, it is done. When the word of God is spoken, think back to Genesis 1, man. When the word of God is spoken, all of creation, all of creation obeys. And so when when, when Jesus, the Son of God, who is God himself, spoke just a few paragraphs ago, the wind and the waves, they obeyed and they ceased. And so when Jesus declares that this woman is clean and that she is pure, when Jesus declares that this woman is saved, she's saved. 
And that's it. He declares it, and so it is so. There is, there is no need for more ritual. There is no need for more sacrifice. This woman, she came to Jesus with faith that he could heal her. And in his power, in his compassion, he not only heals her of physical informity, but Jesus cleanses her of all impurity and he declares her saved. That is the beautiful truth that we see here of Jesus' power and compassion. But Jesus' power and compassion is not just towards this woman, it is also towards us as well. The scriptures tell us in Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures. And so what this means for us today is that what we just read in Luke, was it wasn't written for the woman. She lived it. She didn't need to read about it. It wasn't written for the woman. It wasn't written for the crowd. It wasn't written for the disciples that were there or anyone else who experienced the story. It was written for us. And so this was written that we might have faith in Jesus' power and his compassion. This was written so that we might have faith in Jesus' power to overcome any form of suffering. This, This text was written that you might have faith that Jesus has the power. He does have the power to heal you from any suffering that you are experiencing. This was written so that you might have faith that Jesus has power to cleanse you from any impurity that you're living in. This was also written so that you would know that your faith doesn't have to be perfect for you to come to Jesus. I keep emphasizing the faith of the woman. She was anxious. She was afraid. She was trembling. But she had hoped that Jesus could save her. That, that's enough. If all you have is a complicated and an anxious and a desperate faith like this woman, then this was written so that you would know that that's enough faith to bring to Jesus. If, if, if you are in a place where you need full restoration, but all you've got is a little bit of faith. This was written so that you could know that Jesus sees that faith and he takes that faith and he will declare you saved. And her being declared saved isn't what just happens for her. That's what happens for us as well. We are told in the scriptures that when, when we confess our own impurity, just like the woman did. When we come to Jesus with trust and faith, there is no ritual that needs to be done. There's no penance that needs to be paid. You don't have to drop a little extra in your offering envelope. The only thing that you need is to come to Jesus and trust him and he will declare you saved and it'll be done. And so so that's the truth that is written for us, the power of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus. This was written so that we don't have to be like the woman with an anxious faith. Though we can be, we don't have to be. We can come to Jesus with confidence and boldness. But it's not confidence in our own worthiness to be saved. It's not confidence in our own ability. The reason that we can come to Jesus with boldness is because we have confidence in his power. 
and we have confidence in his compassion. And so, so you who have heard this text in Luke, you're invited to have that confidence as well. That whatever it is that you are suffering or whatever sin that you are enslaved through, you are invited to have the confidence and the trust that Jesus can and wants to save you from that. And so as we've been praying and preparing for this text this week, we thought it would be good to just offer a time for those who need to run to Jesus to do, to do that, to just run to him. And so, so the band is, is, is going to come up after I, I pray, and they're, they're going to sing. You know, it's, a, it's a new song for us here at Grace. It's called Run to the Father by Cody Carnes. Um, probably some of you know it. I know the students do. We sing in a bunch of camp. And so, so this song, this song is, is beautiful for, for a lot of things, lots of good lyrics. But building into the chorus, it has this one line. It says, all I know is I need you. And then it goes on to say, so I run to the Father, I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, there's no reason to wait. And it continues, it says, my, my heart needs a surgeon and my soul needs a friend. And so I run to the Father again and again and again and again. And so what, what this time is for when we are singing, if you need to just sit and praise Jesus for what he's delivered you from, do it. Awesome. If you need to stand, awesome. However you wanna praise him for that if you are not, feeling, if you are not experiencing suffering or impurity, praise him however you wanna. But for those who are enslaved to some sort of sin or impurity or those who are experiencing some sort of suffering, this time is offered for you to come to Jesus, for you to recognize and know that all you need is him. And it doesn't matter if you've come to him a million times or you've never come to him at all. Because that song says to come to him again and again and again. And so if you need full restoration from Jesus... It is being offered to you today, not by me, not by Sam, not by Jason, but Jesus himself is offering to you full restoration. And so as they come up and sing this song, you can, you can come and pray at the steps. There's nothing magical about them, just like there was nothing magical about Jesus's robe. The only thing that makes that powerful is that you're in the presence of Jesus. You can do that and you can cry out to him and you can, you can call to him for restoration and you can receive restoration from him. After the service, there will also be people up here that you can come and talk to and they'll pray with you. But know and trust one thing, that Jesus has the power to save you and his compassion is such that he wants to save you. Jesus, I thank you for this beautiful truth. I, I thank you that your blood has made it possible for our salvation. I thank you that your power is such that it flows out from you and it flows out and it heals. I thank you that we do not have to be afraid 
to come to you, but, but we can come to you with confidence knowing that if we fall to our knees before you and we, we confess our impurity, we, we, we tell you what we are suffering from, that we can receive healing and we can receive cleansing. And so, I, God, I ask for those who need that today, I ask that, that, man, you would give them the boldness. Help them that whatever thorns are threatening to creep up in their lives, give them the boldness and the faith to break through them and come to you. Jesus, I pray for the full restoration of those who need it, and I pray with the confidence and trust that you can and you want to give it.